helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Well, SCOTUS has had quite a term, hasn't it? With major decisions being released at the end of June, there has been plenty for me to read, review, and talk about. Now, the first of these major decisions I want to cover was the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health decision, where the court overturned its previous decisions in both Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Now, without too much surprise, and yet contrary to the words of Senator Schumer, it is the pro-abortion supporters that have released the whirlwind. Now, just as with Roe, many thought that the Dobbs decision would put an end to the abortion debate. But they were wrong in 1973, and they are just as wrong today. It appears those who promote abortion have taken their cue from an old lawyer's trick. When the law is on your side, pound the law. When the facts are on your side, pound the facts. When neither is on your side, pound the table. So today, I want to start with a look at the Dobbs versus Jackson's opinion and then take a look at the table pounding that's been going on. After almost 50 years, a landmark decision in the Supreme Court has been overturned. Will it be remembered with other decisions like Dred Scott or Plessy versus Ferguson? Only time will tell. After all the fervor when a draft of the opinion was leaked, we finally get a chance to review the actual opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health in its final form. At 213 pages, the opinion and dissents in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health is not only large in size, but in scope. There are so many questionable phrases, it can easily become overwhelming. For that reason, and my own sanity, I focus mainly on the syllabus, the summary of the opinion. I've added quotes and opinions from the, from the concurrences and dissents only as necessary. Now, as with all cases before the Supreme Court, this one started with a question. Mississippi's Gestational Age Act provides that, except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowingly perform or induce an abortion of an unborn human being if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks. Respondents, Jackson Women's Health Organization, an abortion clinic, and one of its doctors challenged the act in federal district court alleging that it violates the court's precedent establishing a constitutional right to abortion, in particular Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey. The framing of a question is just as important as the question itself. Mississippi passed a law that limits abortions after 15 weeks gestation. Jackson Women's Health Organization and one of its doctors believe that the law violated this court's precedent establishing a constitutional right to abortion. Notice two very important things in that statement. Jackson Women's Health did not claim that the Mississippi law violated federal law or the Constitution of the United States, but judicial precedent. Now, judicial precedent is not law. Neither is it recognized by the Constitution as supreme over the laws and constitutions of the state, as Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution states. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. Jackson Women's Health is asking the court to place a previous opinion of the court above the supreme law of the land. Well, that really isn't surprising since the court has been doing that for decades, though 
Please notice the second part of the original plaintiff's statement. The court, through its precedent, established a constitutional right to abortion. Now, I have not reviewed the Planned Parenthood v. Casey opinion, but I have reviewed the Roe v. Wade opinion. You know what I did not find? A claim of a constitutional right to abortion. Rather, the court claimed that the decision to have an abortion was private between the mother and the, her doctor, and that Texas law criminalizing abortion represented an unreasonable seizure of her body. Now, for almost 50 years, courts have used the precedent set in Roe and Casey, frequently referring to the so-called constitutional right to abortion. If the Supreme Court said there was a right to abortion, well, then there's a right to abortion. However, in the Dobbs case, the majority of the court, rather than relying on opinions of previous justices, looked at the Constitution and made a startling discovery. Hell, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Most people I've read or heard discuss this opinion have rightly focused on the overturning of Roe and Casey. But did you notice the Tenth Amendment undertones in the holding? If the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, then it's not within the judicial power of the court to protect it. It's therefore reserved to the people and their elected representatives. Now, how did the court come to such a decision? The critical question is whether the Constitution, properly understood, confers a right to obtain an abortion. Casey's controlling opinion skipped over that question and reaffirmed Roe solely on the basis of stare decisis. A proper application of stare decisis, however, requires an assessment of the strength of the grounds on which Roe was based. The court therefore turns to the question that the Casey plurality did not consider. As I've already pointed out, the Constitution, not court precedent, is the supreme law of the land. The Casey court, like so many others, placed the idea of stare decisis, Latin for let the decision stand, above all other considerations. Now, since judges and justices are human, there must be a recognition of their fallibility. Courts get things wrong. If a court opinion could not be reviewed, courts would still be enforcing segregation laws and the concept of separate but equal. So are the grounds of Roe and Casey strong enough to survive a constitutional review? The Constitution makes no express reference to a right to obtain an abortion, but several constitutional provisions have been offered as potential homes for an implicit constitutional right. Roe held that the abortion right is part of the right to privacy that springs to the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. The Casey Court grounded its decision solely on the theory that the right to obtain an abortion is part of the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. Now, the 9th Amendment to the Constitution makes it quite clear. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. So is the right to an abortion among those that, while not enumerated in the Constitution, are still protected by it? Well, to find out, the court needed to look at the history of this so-called right to abortion. Next, the court examines whether the right to obtain an abortion is rooted in the nation's history and tradition and whether it is an essential component of ordered liberty. The court finds that the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition. The underlying theory on which Casey rested, that the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause provides substantive as well as procedural protection for liberty, has long been controversial. Let's start by asking what is this ordered liberty the court is so concerned about? From Encyclopedia.com, ordered liberty is a loosely used term diversely applied to scholarly literature and judicial opinions. Ordered liberty suggests that fundamental constitutional rights are not absolute, 
for are determined by a balancing of the public or societal welfare against individual or personal rights. The concept of ordered liberty is itself a violation of the Constitution of the United States. Remember when I quoted Article 6, Clause 2? This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution laws to the contrary notwithstanding. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, not a court's attempt to balance your constitutionally protected rights against the public interest. Ordered liberty is the court usurping the role of supreme law of the land. What did the court find in America's history and traditions around abortion? For the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its citizens. Then, in 1973, this court decided Roe v. Wade. Even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion, the court held that it conferred a broad right to obtain one. It did not claim that American law or the common law had ever recognized such a right, and its survey of history ranged from the constitutionally irrelevant, for example, the, its discussion of abortion in antiquity, to the plainly incorrect, example, its assertion that abortion was probably never a crime under the common law. After cataloging a wealth of other information having no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution, the opinion concluded with a numbered set of rules, much like those that might be found in a statute enacted by a legislature. The court looked at the history and tradition of abortion in the United States and did not find it sufficient to establish as a right that was not enumerated in the Constitution, and therefore protected by the Ninth Amendment. It was not considered a constitutionally protected right for the first 185 years of the Constitution. It was not recognized under either American or common law. Although the Roe Court attempted to come up with a history to justify their preferred outcome, their reasoning used both the irrelevant and the incorrect to find this missing right. Which leaves us with a single question. What will govern our nation? The Constitution of the United States or the previous opinion of justices? Reading from the Dobbs opinion. The doctrine of stare decisis does not counsel continued acceptance of Roe and Casey. Stare decisis plays an important role and protects the interests of those who have taken action in reliance on a past decision. It reduces incentives for challenging settled precedent, saving parties and courts the expense of endless relitigation. It contributes to the actual and perceived integrity of the judicial process, and it restrains judicial hubris by respecting the judgment of those who grappled with important questions in the past. But stare decisis is not an inexorable command. Stare decisis does have its place, but not at the expense of the law. When looking at a case, is it wise for judges and justices to look at the opinions of their predecessors? Yes. But to place the opinion of judges above the law of our land is not only a violation of the judge's oath of office, but an attack on self-government and an imposition of a dictatorial oligarchy on the American people. I'm not saying that precedent should be ignored, merely kept in its proper perspective and a majority of the court agrees. The dissent argues that we have abandoned stare decisis, but we've done no such thing. And it is the dissent's understanding of stare decisis that breaks with tradition. The dissent's foundational contention is that the court should never, or perhaps almost never, overrule an egregiously wrong constitutional precedent unless the court can point to a major legal or factual change undermining the decision's original basis. So when precedents as poorly founded as Roe and Casey are challenged, the court must act or violate their very reason for existence. 
like the infamous decision in Plessy versus Ferguson. Roe was so egregiously wrong and on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. Casey perpetuated its errors, calling both sides of the national controversy to resolve their debate, but in doing so, Casey necessarily declared a winning side. Those on the losing side, those who sought to advance the state's interest in fetal life, could no longer seek to persuade their elected representatives to adopt policies consistent with their views. The court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of Americans who disagreed with Roe. As I said, Roe and Casey substituted the opinions of oligarchs for the rule of law. Without any grounding in the constitutional text, history, or precedent, Roe imposed on the entire country a detailed set of rules for pregnancy divided into trimesters, much like those one might expect to find in a statute or regulation. Roe's failure even to note the overwhelming consensus of state laws in effect in 1868 is striking, and what it said about the common law was simply wrong. Now, based on these facts and the law, the court had no other legitimate course of action. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. There is no right to abortion, either in the text of the Constitution or in the history and traditions of this nation. On a personal note, I find it interesting that both Roe and Casey base their claims of a right to abortion in the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. The very right to have your life protected is the right these two courts claim gave a woman the right to take a life of an unborn child. Now, I hate to interrupt this analysis, but I have to take a break. But before I do, there's a couple things I need to let you know about. First of all, I've been adding new dates to the Blessings of Liberty Tour. I'm very excited. I've got a lot of people right now in the in North Dakota, Idaho, Wyoming that are asking me to come speak to them. Uh, I'm looking for more locations and more dates, though. So you can find out more. Go to constitutionstudy.com slash tour. Find out where I'll be speaking. And if you're in the area, please join me. I, I'd love to meet you and, and talk with you about the Constitution. If I'm not coming to an area near you, that's okay. You can invite me to come to your, your location, to speak to your group, to speak at your event. Um, it, it doesn't need to be a big deal. I am traveling the country trying to spread the blessings of liberty, and you can help join me. Find out all right there at constitutionstudy.com tour. Now, if you like this and you would like to help support this the, with the price of gas, this is going to be a very expensive tour, especially this year. If you want to support the Constitution study, if you want to support the tour specifically, you can find out how right there, all on that tour page, constitutionstudy.com slash tour. Also, I have some really cool news for you. Healthy Cell has this tremendous offer out through the month of July and only the month of July. All of my listeners, both new listeners and repeat listeners, get 50% off Immune Super Boost. Isn't that cool? Now, what you have to do is you have to go to HealthyCell.com slash OutLoud, and you have to use the code America50, America50, when you check out. 
Now, Healthy Cell has some wonderful products. The, I use the REM sleep and the, the focus and recall for, in addition to the Immune Super Boost regularly. But they're giving you this month 50% off the Immune Super Boost. So be sure to go to HealthyCell.com slash OutLoud. That, that lets them know that you're a listener to America Out Loud. And use the code AMERICA50, AMERICA50, and they will give you 50% off your Immune Super Boost. Now do that today. You don't want this offer to run out. Uh, the Immune Super Boost, I believe, helped me and my family through not just the COVID, but all of the, the, uh, the, the sicknesses and illnesses that the germs that are floating around. It's a wonderful product. I truly enjoy it. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. I'm glad you rejoined the Constitution study. Let's not waste any time and jump right back into that analysis of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. The court went on. The inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973. The court in Roe could have said of abortion exactly what Glucksberg said of assisted suicide. Attitudes towards abortion have changed since Bracton, but our laws have consistently condemned and continue to prohibit that practice. 
This is the hubris of the court. Without any legal basis, the Roe court made up a supposed right to abortion and inflicted it on the nation. Then the Casey court abdicated their duty to review the law and simply allowed this abuse to continue. Now, of course, not all the justices agreed. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan dissented to the court's opinion. When overruling constitutional precedent, the court has almost always pointed to major legal or factual changes undermining a decision's original basis. In other words, those in the dissent assume no prior court could possibly be wrong. Without major legal or factual changes undermining a decision's original basis, we are to forever be stuck with the decision. The possibility that a court may have been wrong is not allowed. The majority's core legal postulate, then, is that we in the 21st century must read the 14th Amendment just as its ratifiers did. And that is indeed what the majority emphasizes over and over again. If the ratifiers did not understand something as central to freedom, then neither can we. Or said more particularly, if those people did not understand reproductive rights as part of the guarantee of liberty confirmed in the 14th Amendment, then those rights do not exist. And thus we again see the hubris of the court and all those who believe in a living, breathing document theory. These dissenting justices claim the authority to ignore the language of the Constitution and the basic tenets of contract law. Remember, the Constitution is, after all, a compact between the states. And they decide to determine for themselves the understanding of rights. This is not a power delegated to the judicial branch. If, as these dissenters believe, the understanding of what is central to freedom changes, it is up to the people and the states to change the Constitution, not nine high priests in black robes, as Alito pointed out in the opinion of the court. The court in Roe could have said of abortion exactly what Glucksberg said of assisted suicide. Attitudes towards abortion have changed since Bracton, but our laws have consistently condemned and continue to prohibit that practice. The dissenting justices furthered their heavy-handed opinions when it comes to the application of state laws. Enforcement of these draconian restrictions will also be left largely to the state devices. A state can, of course, impose criminal penalties on abortion providers, including lengthy prison sentences. But some states will not stop there. Perhaps in the wake of today's decision, a state law will criminalize the woman's conduct too, incarcerating or fining her for daring to seek or obtain an abortion. And as Texas has recently shown, a state can turn neighbor against neighbor, enlisting fellow citizens in an effort to root out anyone who tries to get an abortion or to assist another in doing so. Once again, we see the justices of the Supreme Court placing their opinions above not only the law, but the people's right to govern themselves. If an abortion is the claiming of a human life and it is done illegally, should not all who participate be subject to judgment? After all, if two people conspire to murder another, both are charged with a crime. As for Breyer's comment about the state of Texas, I would remind him that it was the Supreme Court that prohibited Texas in the road case from criminally punishing abortion providers. Meaning, Texas was merely finding a way to fulfill its duty to protect the taking of human life without due process within the ridiculous restrictions placed on it by the Roe Court. The dissent went on. Can a state bar women from traveling to another state to obtain an abortion? Can a state prohibit advertising out-of-state abortions or helping women to get out-of-state providers? Can a state interfere with the mailing of drugs used for medication abortions? The Constitution protects travel and speech and interstate commerce. So today's ruling will give rise to a host of new constitutional questions. Far from removing the court from the abortion issue, 
the majority puts the court at the center of the coming interjurisdictional abortion wars. Are the states sovereign or are they vassals of Washington, D.C.? That's the question Breyer brings up here. Apparently, in the mind of the dissenters, the states are mere vassals to their opinions. These justices act as if the rest of the Constitution does not exist when it supports their rhetorical purposes. But remember, the question presented to this court was not travel, advertising, or mailing, but the legality of Mississippi's law regulating abortion. For half a century, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey have protected the liberty and equality of women. Roe held and Casey reaffirmed that the Constitution safeguards a woman's right to decide for herself whether to bear a child. Roe held and Casey reaffirmed that in the first stages of pregnancy, the government could not make that choice for women. The government could not control a woman's body or the course of a woman's life. It could not determine what the woman's future would be. Respecting a woman as an autonomous being and granting her full equality meant giving her substantial choice over this most personal and most consequential of all decisions. Once again, we see the justices misleading those who read their opinions in an emotional attempt to promote their political agenda. The question in Roe, Casey, and Dobbs was not whether or not a woman could decide for herself whether or not to bear a child, but if and when the killing of a life in the womb is protected by the Constitution. Put another way, was the taking of a human life a legal form of contraception? As Lito noted in the opinion, the dissent is very candid, that it cannot show that a constitutional right to abortion has any foundation, let alone a deeply rooted one, in this nation's history and tradition. The most striking feature of the dissent is the absence of any serious discussion of the legitimacy of the state's interest in protecting fetal life. The dissent's case reminds me of a, a story I once heard. See, there's this old trial lawyer's saying, when the facts are on your side, pound the facts. When the law is on your side, pound the law. When neither is on your side, pound the table. Even in a generally well-thought-out opinion, the court often gets things wrong. The concept of ordered liberty the court used is a violation of the Constitution, and therefore a violation of the justices' oath to support it. The Roe opinion was so badly decided not because people disagreed with it, but because it failed the most basic concept of judicial scrutiny. It should become a lesson of the dangers of ordered liberty, stare decisis, and our court's slavish devotion to precedent above the laws they have sworn to uphold. As Justice Kavanaugh noted in his concurrence, the Constitution does not grant the nine unelected members of this court the unilateral authority to rewrite the Constitution to create new rights and liberties based on our own moral or policy views. As Justice Rehnquist stated, this court has not been granted a roving commission, either by the Founding Fathers or the framers of the 14th Amendment, to strike down laws that are based upon notions of policy or morality suddenly found unacceptable by a majority of this court. This court, therefore, does not possess the authority either to declare a constitutional right to abortion or declare a pro constitutional prohibition of abortion. Now, in so much of the hype about this opinion, one very important thing is frequently lost. This decision does not make abortion illegal in the United States, nor does it take away a woman's right to get an abortion. It does not even claim that abortion could not be protected by law. It only says that the laws and Constitution of the United States do not provide for a right to an abortion. Those who want legal abortions in this country will have to go to their representatives, the legislative branch, to get it, rather than relying on a ruling body in the courts. Now, may the courts, Congress, the White House, and each and every American learn the lesson of the dangers of both stare decisis 
and hubris of courts issued rulings. Otherwise, all it will take for the oligarchs and black robes to rule over this nation as kings and queens is the right person not to let a crisis go to waste. I know that was a lot, but there's a lot that was said in that opinion. It, it's, it's. I, I wouldn't say it's the best written opinion I had, but it, I've ever seen. But it's there's a lot in there, and there's obviously there wasn't a lot I had to complain about it. Now, this of course started an entire tidal wave of effects. Let's start with um, well, some of the simpler ones. Uh, based on this opinion. The Supreme Court has taken some uh, rulings that were sent to it and sent them back to lower courts for review. Specifically, these were federal appeals courts in Arizona, Arkansas, and, and even in Indiana that uh, they, the court sent back. Arizona and Arkansas dealt with invalidating abortion bans in those states, and uh, Indiana dealt with parental notification of abortions performed on minors. So we start seeing, you know, the the ongoing. But not everybody's on board with this. Um, see, the interesting thing most people don't realize is that the Wade in Roe v. Wade was a Texas official, meaning Texas was the, um, uh, in the case, they were part of the case that banned criminal prosecution of abortion laws in the state. So when Roe was overturned, that law that was supposedly overturned by by Roe, I say supposedly because courts don't rule, um, well, that could now go back into effect. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said, okay, now we can go back. The opinion that said that law was wrong has been overturned. We can go and reinforce it. Well, except a, uh, a county judge in Texas has put a temporary hold on that. He, uh, he's, he's, put a, he's basically blocking officials from, from enforcing it uh, until, I guess, the case could be heard. So even in these, we are not... Uh, uh, you know, suddenly, even in Texas, where Roe v. Wade was, where Wade was, is not fully on board with this, and we're still going through this process. Now, there has been a lot of... Histrionics, beyond hyperbole, into full-on histrionics based on this opinion. Well, for example, uh, MSNBC legal analyst, uh, Glenn Kirshner, claimed that when, when asked what this would mean, uh, the uh, post-real world, he said, oh, I think privacy rights will be all but abolished. Whether it's what is gay marriage, whether it's interracial marriage, which I think might qualify as irony for Justice Thomas, whether it's contraception, I don't believe for a minute they're not going to come after desegregation. Now, I don't know where Mr. Kirchner gets these ideas. It certainly wasn't from the court. There is a question about gay marriage at the federal level. But remember, when Obergefell was, was uh, decided and attempted to impose gay marriage on all 50 states, I think 26 states had already adopted gay marriage. And there's never been a question with interracial marriage. That was never a case before the court. The contraception is another one. It's a question of, will the court follow the Constitution? Do we, the people, oversee government, or does government oversee us? 
But the primary thing lost in that discussion is Dobbs did not make abortion illegal. It returned the question to the people and their representatives. Meaning, if, if the, the people would get to decide. The people would be able to get their representatives to pass laws. The people would be able to uh, propose constitutional amendments, either through their federal representatives or through their states. But I find it interesting how many people who would claim to support the democratic process want to get rid of the democratic process for certain things that they think are correct. They think it's, it's, it's worth it. Or what about John Stewart? I mean, granted, he's not really a news person, but people listen to him. They listen to him for, for quote-unquote news for years. He went down this really kind of bizarre sense of reasoning. See, he argues that the pro-life position was to save a life and that autonomy means nothing. So according to him, he says, we have an organ shortage in this country. Organ donations save lives. Therefore, they would be able to go to a person and say, give me one of your kidneys because it's going to save this person's life. I mean, you talk about irrational. I mean, th this, is, this is the histrionics I'm talking about. Roe didn't say you now have the about, didn't say, um, again, that abortion was illegal, or, or there, I should say Dobbs didn't say abortion was illegal. It said it was a, a, not a matter fit for the courts or for the federal government. But let's just think of this. Okay, pro-life says you need to save life. It doesn't say autonomy means nothing. It means you cannot use your autonomy to take another life. So you have, again, lies and histrionics. Now, okay, in his, in his mind, suddenly the government can come to you and say, give me one of your kidneys. I'm sorry, that is a deprivation of property, my property, my body, without due process. See, they, apparently, I guess, maybe to John Stewart, he thinks of a baby as nothing more than a kidney until it's born. Or what about the employee for a universal music group who, who literally said he refused to work because he was mourning over the Roe v. Wade, the opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade. He was mourning. Well, guess what? Uh, now he's speaking up because they fired him for not working. I find it the epitome of irony that someone is mourning over the idea that you don't have a federally authorized uh, right to kill an unborn human being. But that's the state of, of this discourse in so much of this. Or how about Joe Biden? Joe Biden is calling for an exception to the filibuster just to get a, a, a law to enact a law that the court has already said would be unconstitutional because it's exercising a power not delegated to the United States. You see, he said that if, he says, I believe we codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and the way to do that is to make sure Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be, we provide an exception for this. We require an exception to the filibuster for this action. Well, excuse me, 
Mr. President, but since if the court is correct and the right to abortion is not in the Constitution, that doesn't give the federal, that doesn't give Congress the right to create it by law. And if you're willing to blow up the filibuster for this, just ask yourself, how well did that work when they blew up the filibuster for court nominations? This is the irrationality that has been brought forth by this opinion. Now, I have to take another break, but before I do, hey, have you liked this program? Have you liked all the stuff you've been reading and hearing and watching on America Out Loud? Well, then do me a favor. Make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop. Use it to find news and happenings. Don't make it your only daily stop, but make it a daily stop. Find this information. Find these points of view. Read and share the stories, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, everything we can do. Because when we do that, you help all of us here at America Out Loud spread the blessings of liberty far and wide. You can be part of the solution rather just complain, than just complaining about the problem. So do me that favor. Every day, go to AmericaOutloud.com. When you find those interesting pieces of information, share them with friends, family, and social media. And I'll be right back after this quick break. It's summertime. Ready for your vacation to the beach, the lake, or the mountains? But what about your accommodations? Ever wonder what germs were left behind by the previous guests? Kathy G. from Tulsa says the Genesis Fogger gives her peace of mind and confidence when traveling. With Genesis, she knows that the air and surfaces in her vacation rental are free of bacteria and viruses left behind by the previous occupants. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Let the silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming. From world and political news to societal and cultural stories, six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. Today we're taking a look, a deep look, at the recent Dobbs decision and the chaos, the aftermath to all of this. Now, we've already talked about, we spent a lot of time talking about the opinion. That was a big opinion. I had a lot to, to cover. And we started talking about the reactions initially in the media. We even got into Biden and some of the government. Well, for example, the Department of Homeland Security issued back for the 4th of July holiday a warning about a heightened threat environment specifically because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, I want you to think for just to try really real. Put your thinking cap on and answer me. Um, is that threat coming from the pro-life side? Is it coming from the conservative side? Or is that threat coming from the pro-abortion progressive side? The side that claims they want democracy but don't want the question of abortion returned to the democratic process. We shouldn't be surprised. Now, as as far as I know today, the the shooting in in um, Illinois. Well, I don't know if that was motivated by Roe or just some guy with a problem. But think about it. 
this idea of simply re recognizing that, no, the Constitution did not delegate to the United States the, the power to regulate abortion. It, it did not guarantee a right to abortion uh, in itself or in the history uh, and traditions of this country. So it goes back to the states. It isn't a question of, I'm not talking about whether or not uh, abortion should be legal or not. The simple idea of returning to the people, the ability to decide a controversial subject, the DHS believes could lead to violence. Maybe that's because for so long, the progressives have imposed their will via the courts and um, they're starting to lose. And as an example of, of the, the way they look at things, uh, I won't give her name, but she's a, this, this, a member of the Contra Costa County Board of, of Education in California. Posted a boycott 4th of July image on her Facebook page. Why? Well, she says, uh, I haven't celebrated 4th of July since 2016, and I don't think it's a holiday to celebrate. What do you think? Now, what, what led to this? She, she, she says, she's, I'm not feeling very patriotic, especially not interested in celebrating a holiday centered around freedom from oppressive government when that freedom is not a reality for so many people in this country. Lastly, Friday's women's reproductive rights were taken away. We are not in a place of progress or celebration when human rights are being taken away. So again, misinformation. The right to an abortion was not taken away. It was never guaranteed in the federal constitution the court finally recognized it. She lives in California. California is doing everything they can to not only allow abortions in their state, but to bring people to their state. And she thinks that America is a terrible country and that our independence should not be celebrated. Well, then I wonder why millions of people every year try to come to this country and very few try to run away. Why is it that uh, a, a Catholic church in Wisconsin was vandalized with anti-pro-life messages. Why? Why the, the hatred and anger when a court stops an illegal imposition and returns the decision to the people? See, I'm repeating that over and over again for a reason. Because it tells you so much the this pro-abortion crowd, whether it's their direct intention or not, is not interested in freedom and liberty. They're interested in imposing their will on others. If the abortion crowd, if the pro-abortion crowd is so sure that their opinion is so good and so right and so supported by facts and data, all they have to do is show other people and they can get a majority of their people in their states to agree to it. The problem is they don't have the data. They know that their argument is not persuasive. That's why they needed to impose it via the courts. And now that they can't impose their will via the courts, they're angry. And guess what? That Catholic Church, there's been 40, 50 or more attacks, vandalism, destruction at pro-life uh, pregnancy centers, pro-life service centers, churches, other ident entities known for their pro-life stance. If they can't get their way, 
by hook, they'll do it by crook. If they can't get their way via the courts, they will attempt to intimidate people to stop opposing them. Does that sound like freedom to anyone? Does that sound like independence? See, I agree. This woman shouldn't celebrate independence because she's not interested in independence. She's interested in dependence on government, especially on the courts, to impose her will on everyone else. Because no one is coming to tell her she can't get her abortion. She lives in California. She doesn't care. Now, either she's been lied to and been told that the opinion in Dobbs made abortions illegal, or she just doesn't care. She wants her will throughout all 50 states, no matter what. Now, just to show that uh, there are people in both parties that are not willing to let a crisis or an opportunity go to waste, that both parties will use these things to their own political advantage, uh, that Wisconsin church I mentioned was not the first. I doubt it will be the last. There have been dozens, I said at this point, probably close to 50 that I know of, attacks on churches, pregnancy centers, pro-life groups around the nation. Now, there are two interesting things here. Uh, supposedly the FBI is investigating. But here we have a senator, Senator Chuck Grassley. Yes, he's a Republican. And he sent a letter to the FBI, to Director Ray. He wants a briefing on the issue. And he wants Ray to ensure that these violent attacks are recognized by the FBI and are being properly investigated for what they are, cases of abortion-related violent extremism. I have a problem for you, Mr. Grassley. Uh, vandalism on state property, or uh, vandalism not on federal property, is not within the purview of the FBI. Let me say that again. Vandalism on property not owned by the federal government is not under the purview of the FBI. Unless you're talking, even the question of if the vandal crosses state lines to do this, that is questionable because there's no power delegated to the United States, including you, sir, in the Senate, to deal with property crime. And there's a very good reason for that. Property crime is a state issue. The only thing Congress has that the United States is involved in is if a person crossed state lines to... Uh, uh, commit an act of vandalism, and um, the, they, they have enough probable cause supported by oath or affirmation to issue an arrest warrant, the state should extradite. That's it. But you see, this is just more grandstand. Oh, we'll get the FBI. We'll make the, we'll make the Biden administration look bad. This is not an FBI issue. Now, a lot of you out there probably stamping your feet going, dear, but Paul, it's a, it's a nationwide issue. No, it's an issue in multiple states. And it's up to the states to deal with it. And if your state refuses to deal with it, that doesn't make it a federal issue. That makes it a competency issue within your state, something you need to deal with. But this is just more, again, political grandstanding. Let's whip everybody up. Let's pour gasoline on the madness because we want the federal government to continue to meddle in state matters. And of course, they're not the only ones, right? We're, we're not just dealing with the, the pro-abortion crowd. We're not just dealing with the, the, the government. We're 
we're all, you know, federal government, state government, we are dealing with corporations. More and more corporations have decided that they will fund as part of their health care their employees to travel to states that will allow an abortion. Now listen, if that's how they want to spend their money, if, if their shareholders, their stockholders, the people that actually own the corporation, want to spend their money transporting their employees out of state to get an abortion, that's their decision. But it tells you a lot about these corporations, or at least tells me a lot about these corporations. Now, I don't know why they're doing this. I, I can foresee a couple of reasons. I've heard a couple of reasonable explanations. Um, probably the most callous is that uh, they they don't want their female employees pregnant because they can work more if they're not pregnant. They don't have to, to deal with the medical leave and, pater- and maternity leave and all that. It, it costs the company less. They get more work. That's probably the, the, the crassest one. Could just be that they're continuing to uh, signal, to, to, uh, to virtue signal. To look at the progressive left and say, see, we're the good guys because we support you. Would be, that, that to me seems like the most logical reason for this. Is that the, these corporations are looking at this saying, um, listen, we want to appease the, the progressive left because they're the ones that cause problems. They're the ones that riot. They're the ones that vandalize. They're the ones that, uh, that boycott. And I find that absolutely hilarious because I I don't know about you, but if, if I owned Chick-fil-A stock, if I was, I would beg for people to call for a, a boycott of Chick-fil-A because every time they do, business goes up at Chick-fil-A. But you see, that's the mentality of we will appease this one side because, well, they're the only ones that make us pay if we disagree with them. Whether we like it or not, that's, that's the way things are. Not the conservative side, not the the constitutional side. We rarely make companies pay when they don't support our agenda, when they are antithetical to freedom and liberty. We don't make them pay. Now, there are are ways of doing this. In fact, uh, although they're not paying for this, there's an app called Breathe Easy. Find it on the Apple App Store. I believe it's on Google Play now as well. But the whole idea is to crowdsource information about companies that um, that treat you like a human being. At least when it comes to masks and vaccines and nonsense like that. Maybe we can. Maybe somebody will come up with an app that deals with um, abortion providers or supporting other organizations. Hey, maybe someone will come up with a genius idea on how to create an app or a website that will combine all of these things to help you give you more information about where you want to spend your money. You see, remember, when we declared independence and our and the framers, the, the, the 56 men who signed the declaration, pledged to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Are you willing to, to uh, pledge your fortune to freedom and liberty? Yes, that may mean giving to groups that support freedom and liberty. Hey, if the Constitution study is one of those, I appreciate that. That's not what I'm talking about. It also means not spending your money with corporations 
that are destructive to your rights and liberty. And that's a decision you have to make. What are the issues that you will stand on? What are the issues that you will fall for? Look at these corporations. If you believe that, you, if you are pro-life, and you believe that it is wrong to uh, transport people across state lines to get an abortion, ask yourself: Are you supporting any of these companies? And is you know what is what is the greater value, the, the cost-benefit ratio? But I have an even better idea for you. See, check your portfolios. Do you own any stock in these corporations? See, I'm pretty sure the leaders of these corporations are making these decisions because they don't think, they're pretty sure that if they don't, the progressive left will attack them and they're pretty sure that the, the conservative liberty freedom people won't. But if you own stock, even one share, you have a right to attend the shareholders meeting and to ask the leadership why they're spending the corporation's money to promote abortion. You may be one voice out of a million. You may be the voice of a, of a lone voice crying in the wilderness. Or you may find that there are others that agree with you and say, hey, that's a good question. Why are you spending our company's money on promoting abortion? See, that is using your fortune for the, the cause of liberty. Let's not run from that. Let's look at this as an opportunity. Now, there's one other one that I find interesting. Now, I've, I am no fan of Google. I was years ago, right? Google had the best search engine. They had all these APIs. They had all this these free services until I realized that they were stealing data from people. It's a reason why I avoid Google. You can't avoid Google completely because a lot of the apps, unknown, unknown beknownst to you, actually use Google in the background. But there's a reason why I won't own an Android phone, because Android is owned by Google. And there's a reason why I don't use the Google search engine, why I don't use Google Maps or a lot of their services. And here's one that just came out. Google has said it is going to automatically erase location data for users who visit abortion providers. Now, okay, hey, if that's what Google wants to do, Google is free to do that. That is the data they collect. Um... They're free to do that. I'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to do this. But I want you to think about that for a second. They're going to erase the location data for people who visit abortion clinics, which tells, should tell you two very important things. One, Google knows everywhere you go. If you have an Android phone or you use Google Maps, Google knows every place you go, every place you visit. And the other is, well, Google's more than happy to erase location data for if you visit an abortion clinic, I wonder if they're going to erase your date if you visit um, a gun store or if you attended January uh, a demonstration on January 6th or if you go to a, a patriot gathering, any patriot gathering, any gathering in support of the Constitution, freedom and liberty, will they erase that data because it could be used against you either by government or by individuals and other groups? Somehow I doubt that. I'd love to have Google say, yeah, here's a whole list of, P of, of locations that we are going to erase location data for. Because it should tell you a lot about the people who run Google. And again, if you own Google stock, maybe you should ask them about that. 
Now, I hope you found this program useful, entertaining, interesting. Do me a favor, though. Share that information. Let other people know. Weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeart Radio Network, they can hear the Constitution Study. They can hear it on our media players, our apps for Apple, Android, or Alexa, or they can listen to the podcast on any podcast app. And you can find all those links at AmericaOutloud.com. Thank you.